Hi and welcome to another edition of Authorised, the podcast where writers speak. My name's Kevin Hillier and today one of Australia's uh, most loved and uh, biggest selling novelists uh, is joining me. Also written a, a number of uh, non-fiction books as well but uh, these days it's all about uh, some terrific novels that she's been uh, writing and the latest is called At the End of the Day. I'm talking about Liz Bursky who will join me very shortly to have a chat about what was a very challenging book for her to write. And we'll find out all about that shortly but a reminder about our fabulous podcast partners that is CSCG, Tax, Tick That Box. Superannuation, tick that box. Financial planning, tick that box. Whatever it is to do with your financial situation, they can help you out. They're terrific people to deal with. They have the expertise in all the fields. You ask the questions, they'll find the answers and uh, they'll give you it uh, straight from the shoulder. They don't muck around. Uh, give them a call, double nine seven four eight triple three, and, of course, uh, jump on the website. That's uh, probably a good place to start, cscg.com.au. That's where you'll see the people you're dealing with, you'll see the services they have to offer, how it fits for you, and then uh, get in touch with them, and I'm sure you'll be very happy with the outcome, as you will be with uh, what I'm about to present to you now, which is a chat I had with Liz Bursky, uh, author of this brand-new book called At the End of the Day, but uh, she's uh, got a terrific body of work, of course, uh, about, I think it was 10 or so uh, non-fiction books, uh, or actually 12 uh, non-fiction books, and uh, now 10 novels, the latest of which is called At the End of the Day. I normally start this uh, podcast by saying congratulations uh, on getting a book done because I, I think it's a, a, an enormous effort to write a book and then get it published. But in your case, Thank even you. more so with this one because you actually had a stroke during the writing of this. Yes, I did. Um, and it set me back horribly. I was uh, g- getting along fairly well with with what I decided to make of the book and then everything disappeared. And I, of course, didn't look at it for some time. And when I did, I thought, well, I have no idea what I had in mind for it. Oh, wow. So uh, that was a, uh, it was a bit of a shock. <laughs> I can imagine. Did you, did you go back and did you, did you rewrite or did you just pick up from where it was and, and sort of fill in the gaps as you went along? Or how, how did that process work for you? Well, I, well, I read it over and over again um, and tried to get back into what I was aiming for. And I think in the end, I got close to it. Um, it, it ended up, ended differently than I had expected, but uh, I, I got basically back to getting it to say what I wanted it to say. Um, but it took me a long time and um, it really did make a difference to my memory, the stroke. My, my short-term memory is now really bad, yeah. but um, the rest of it has come back to me. Um, and so why I'm, while I often sort of mumble at my friends and tell them I don't know what I'm doing or they tell me I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> yes. uh, things like that, um, I, I have come back to the writing more easily and it's quite good for keeping me focused now. Okay. Because the lovely quote mm. I saw was where you talk about the characters when you're developing characters for books and how when they start they're just a shadow and then they emerge from the shadows into the characters that you want them to be. With what That's happened? Right. With what happened with you with this book? Was that was that a harder thing to have to create? Yeah, it was a harder thing. I kept asking myself what I'd wanted to do with it, what what I'd wanted it to to say, really, which was that um, old age can be different to what we normally see or hear about it, which is all about decay and misery and um, 
you know, being tolerated by one's children. My children have always tolerated me fairly well. It doesn't seem to have changed with age. <laughs> and um, uh, I, I was very, very muddled because I knew I had some uh, history in there. And um, I couldn't remember what it was or how I thought I was going to use it. But it did come back together in the end, thank goodness. The the two main characters in this are uh, are ladies in their in their late seventies dealing with uh, what you just said about uh, you know age and what what age brings with you. But there's a couple of um, yeah. uh, things. Mim has got a, a special, um, uh, I guess, a challenge uh, in her life that uh, has been with her since the early days of her life. Yes, that's right. She had uh, polio as a child, and I don't know how old you are, Kevin, but anybody of my age, which is seventy seven would remember the polio epidemics in in the 60s um, and 50s and 60s. And so that was a very big thing in people's lives. Uh, it was for us in England as it was in Australia. I was yep. in England at the time. And um, it, it uh, really disrupted people's lives horribly, not just because of the awful disease itself and what it meant to the children and the adults, that suffered from it, but to their families who were often treated as outcasts. So there was something wrong with the family if a child or an adult caught polio. There was a sort of social um, yes. uh, rejection, which was terrible for the people concerned and children when they did recover or, and were able to go back to school, and that might be six months or three years later, um, they were children were still being bullied and teased about that and called names. It was, it, it, there was in the, at the time there was a an idea that there was must be something wrong with the family if they got polio. Yeah. They were dirty or or um, crooked or yeah. Um, and it was just socially as well as um, as well as physically very very hard on families. Now, you based uh, a lot of uh, the research on that. You, you uh, have a, a good friend who, who helped you with the research on that. And it's one of the hallmarks of your books that when you develop characters, you actually really do develop them to the point where you, you, you go off and find out a lot more about particular things like polio and depression in, in previous books. Yes, that's right. I think if you're going to write about those sorts of things and aim the stories at older people, you've re- really got to be cautious about how you use it. Um, and what you make of it, because it affects people when they when they read it, and when they read what other people have written about a time and a place and a, a health condition or a mental condition or anything like that. People who have gone through that obviously have the genuine experience. I can only sort of try and recreate it, but just the same, I think it's important that that recreation is something that makes sense and doesn't insult um, readers who might have been through that. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I've, uh, I think it shows great respect for, for the uh, for the people who are reading your books. Well, I hope so. That's what I'm trying to get to always um, because there's so much negativity about getting old. Um, we don't have the, um, the media image that actually represents who we are as older people. We're always seen as, you know, a, a, as, a, as a body of people 
we tend to be a bit of a nuisance because <laughs> um, we get sick or get take you know take time dying when people think we should have gone by now. But but really, um, the the aging community is vibrant and it's welcoming and it's a, it's people just enjoying, hopefully enjoying the latter part of their lives and they've earned the, the right to be respected and accommodated by the younger community. Um, and I think that uh, radio and television, well, radio is better, but television and film are very bad. Um, I'm sorry about the background noise. That's my dog trying to attack the postie. That's Gaza? Sorry. That's Gaza, yes. Right. <laughs> Um, so really it's just people wanting to make the most of the time that they've got, that they don't have to go to work anymore and uh, live on their income, which has usually dropped quite a bit from the past. And, you know, we're the same people we always were, except hopefully we might be a bit wiser and a bit more compassionate than we were when we were younger. It's, a, it's a, obviously a very important thing for you, and I mean, you mentioned that you're 77. I'm 65, so we're in mm-hmm. a sim- we're in a similar ballpark. Yeah, it's important that we're not thrown out with uh, with the bathwater, isn't it? Do we, that we have some sort of we do have relevance. We do have relevance, and we have wisdom. You know, you, you don't you don't have to be um, a, a PhD or a, um, a a high executive in a in a major company or anything like that, you have the wisdom of your lifetime, and those things are that hard for younger people to to understand and most of all to respect. I think. Yeah. Um, and I know because I was like that. Although I've always been interested in getting old, I did use to feel that it was all too boring for me to think about too much. But actually, it's a fascinating time of life, and you find yourself, I'm sure you found this, doing things that you never expected to do, enjoying things that you didn't expect to do, yeah. um, and making the most of the things you've always done. So it can be a very rich time, but I think that if, because um, uh, social media, <clears throat> television, and the media, media generally, and fiction tends to underestimate age and not have much respect for it, that it, it people get the wrong impression and they get very depressed about getting old. I actually was looking forward to getting old yeah. because I was looking forward to just being able to stay home and write. Um, now, I'm very fortunate in that respect, but at the same time, um, you know, there are many people who have things that they want to do, um, voluntary work and um, take up different occupations uh, at that age. And, you know, they, we're just like being – it's like being run over by a bus a lot of the time. Yeah. If I, can I give you an example of what I mean? Yeah. I, I, think, the, um, I think the media, the popular media, um, ignores us to a very great extent or shows us as – sweet old things that are in nursing homes. Well, we're not. Lots of us aren't sweet. I'm not. I'm (laughs) not in nursing homes. And, um, uh, for example, there was some years ago, and now because of the stroke I can't remember the name of the TV um, program, but it's about three, perhaps four years ago, 
there was a TV series with a number of um, well-known Australian actors in it. And it was about an extended family. And the whole rollout of the episodes of that, in each one, one of the members of the family was the focus. And it applied to all of them. It applied to the younger ones, the middle-aged ones, and the elderly man who had been in the Vietnam War. So all those characters had a part of the story to themselves. They were the star of that um, particular episode. All except the grandmother who was married to the... um, to the uh, Vietnam vet, and she was only ever in the background and never had her own story. And I just thought that is very typical of the way people view older people. They had respect for the older gentleman because he had been uh, um, in the army. He had fought for his country. But... As far as the producers and the writers of that program were concerned, the older woman, obviously, had just stayed at home. The fact that she had actually um, also adopted a Vietnamese child um, was also overlooked. And that, to me, really seemed like the model for um, the way people see Older, older women, particularly. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, that's one thing you haven't done. That that um, that thing about having a caricature of uh, of an older woman just just hovering in the background. You've actually given them some meat and potatoes, haven't you? Well, we do have meat and potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> so there's nothing very clever about writing about it. It's all around you. You've just got to be prepared to see it. <laughs> How much, how much do you take from your, from your own experiences and, and from uh, your friends uh, and bring them to characters like the two that we have in the, in the book at the end of the day? Yes. Well, um, I do take – I mean, no, nobody in my books is based on anyone in particular. Yep. That's far too dangerous. <laughs> um, but, uh, I, I mean, it's hard to classify really. I talk to a lot of people and I listen to a lot of people and I, I suppose it just comes together. And if I do think I've got anything that is very close to something that someone's told me, I do uh, tell them that I'm going to do it and make sure they're all right about it. So this was the case with my friend with polio. Uh, and I talked to him at length and read his work. And that was very helpful to me. I mean, I do remember the polio epidemic. I was a child. This friend is roughly the same age as me, a couple of years younger. Um, But I didn't want to uh, use what he told me without him knowing what was happening. So I I don't just make things up ad lib and then not check them. Liz, do do you build the characters to make the kind of interesting people that you want to have in your life? Oh, that's an interesting question. (laughs) I haven't thought about that. Um, I suppose, yes, I do try to um, create characters who have compassion and generosity. And I guess for most of us, that's what we want in our our life, especially as we get older, and thoughtfulness. 
Um, so, yes, but no person that I've written about is directly modelled on anyone in particular. Yeah. The uh, the reaction that you get from uh, from women, uh, I guess, uh, of a similar age and, and younger, my wife loves your books. My wife is a massive fan, has read every oh, one. Yes, has read every one of your books. When I bought the books home, uh, when the books arrived uh, in the post and I, I, I showed them to her, uh, there was a squeal because she was so excited <laughs> about getting her hands on the on the latest Luz Bursky book. So the reaction you must get from, from and I know you've got a lot of uh, male uh, readers who, who love your books too, but um, the, yes. the female readers must absolutely, they just chew it up and, and love it. Well, because nobody else is doing it, yeah. Kevin. That's what amazes me. When I started off, um, I can't remember how many years ago it was now, um, I, and the first book came out and people were so enthusiastic and everyone was excited because it was about older people and I thought, oh, well, um, I'm going to get overtaken very soon, but I haven't. <laughs> Nobody else is doing it to any extent anyway. Occasionally you get a book out, and often it's from an English writer. But, um, yeah, it's. Uh, and I've been surprised how many men enjoy it too. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I will... Nice to know what the enemy's thinking. I think is uh, what uh, one one the great comedy person used to say. You always always check up what the em- enemy's thinking. <laughs> well, I, I don't see them as the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> I did say it was a, com- a comedy person. Um, well, well, yeah, <laughs> I do. I do try to be careful because I don't think there's any woman living that would not have a few caustic remarks to make about men and men too, you know, the the other way around. But I try not to put too much of that in there. Now, I mentioned that my wife's a massive fan. She wanted me to ask you one question. There's one recurring. Yeah. There's one recurring theme in your books, uh, one recurring uh, piece of paraphernalia in your books that seemed, every every one of your books seems to have. The main characters have coffee plungers. Oh, do they? <laughs> is that that's clearly? That's uh, I've got one. <laughs> the, the reaction to that is clearly that you. You've, it's not an intended thing, like. We know Seinfeld used to put a, a Superman comic uh, somewhere in an episode you would see the cover of a Superman comic somewhere that was like a recurring theme. So the coffee plungers is not something that you wanted to have going through all your books. It's just something that happened? It's just something that I've got and I forget that other people use different things. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's interesting. I had never thought of that. The, um, the the joy in writing a book and, and getting it in your hands and and seeing that you know what what you've achieved by by having a book and and the work that you put into it and the research you put into this one and you know the the, the challenges mm. that you had doing this one has this one got a little bit of more satisfaction about it than the others or where do, where does that sit with you? Well, it's got satisfaction and relief, a sort of relief that the others didn't have that I actually managed to get it finished. Um, Normally, once I start writing, I write quite quickly and I get the whole story and then I have to go back over it again and again. But this one took me a very, very long time uh, in comparison to the others to to come together to, to, to have something to say. And it's, it, it just does come to me in the end. There's not a lot of planning in there. I know what the themes are, but, yeah, it's... It, it's odd. It's an odd process, and sometimes I love it, but quite often I don't. Relieved, happy, light-hearted, 
ready for a celebration. Does it make you think about what the next one's going to be about already or not? Oh, well, by the time that the that a book comes out, I usually know what the next one's going to be about. And I may well be, you know, quite a long way into it. Not this time because since the stroke, I've, I've slowed down a lot. I can't work as fast and I can't work before such long periods of time. I just used to do hours and hours on end and I can't do that now. Yep. So I've had to adapt, have had to adapt to that difference. Well, Liz, congratulations on this book and, and getting it out there and getting it done and, uh, and bringing uh, those stories that, that need to be told and, uh, you know, filling in, the, filling in the gaps for the people who, uh, who think that, you know, we just sort of hang around and don't do anything. We've actually got plenty no. to do and plenty to say, us older, older generation yeah, people. Yeah, we absolutely do. And, and I can say to you, Kevin, it gets better. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm, I'm pleased. Are you? Um, I mean, you've done a lot of uh, non-fiction books too. Are you, are you thinking about any more of those, or is that something that you've put on the shelf now? No, I, I stopped writing non-fiction now. Um, just because my publishers do keep wanting more books, yeah. so um, that's something that one doesn't sniff at. Really, you know, if you've started from um, being a journalist or some other sort of writer and then you get a publisher who wants you to keep on doing what you do that's an exceptionally fortunate position and yeah. a lovely position to be in at this age it doesn't matter if you're seven or 70 to be wanted and uh, people wanting you what what you're doing is is a terrific feeling yes it, it, it is and it must be the same for you that you know some years ago probably you wouldn't still be where you are today no, true. so uh, you, you know, i think we should make most of it Absolutely. Uh, good health and uh, take care of yourself and uh, thank you so much for your time, Liz. Really appreciate it and, uh, and keep up the good work. I will. Thank you, Kevin. And it's lovely to talk to you. And please tell your wife I think she's a woman of great good taste. <laughs> thank you, Liz. Thank you very <laughs> okay. much. Take care. Right. Thanks, Kevin. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, thanks to Liz Bursky for her time. And uh, let's uh, wish her all the best uh, for the future. Many more books to come, we hope, uh, as good as uh, that one that we talked about in this episode called At the End of the Day. That is uh, the end of this podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it. Many more to come. And don't forget, wherever you found uh, this particular episode of uh, The Authorised Podcast, there's plenty more with some great authors uh, that we've done over uh, recent months that you can have a listen to and some uh, great ones to come between now and Christmas as well, I can assure you. And that's, of course, all with thanks to our podcast partners, CSCG. Jump on their website. Find out uh, all about them, all about the people you'll deal with and the services they have to offer you, whether it's uh, superannuation help, whether it's uh, taxation. Uh, they're the experts in the field, give them a call. Double nine seven four eight triple three, or jump on their website, cscg.com.au. Read a book and I'll see you soon on the Authorised Podcast. 